When a day that you happen to know is Wednesday starts off sounding like Sunday, then something is seriously wrong somewhere. I felt that from the moment I woke. And yet, when I started functioning a little more smartly, I became doubtful. After all, the odds were it was I who was wrong, and not everyone else. Though I did not see how that could be. I went on waiting, tinged with doubt. But presently, I had my first bit of objective evidence. A distant clock struck what sounded to me just like eight. I listened hard and suspiciously. Soon another clock began, on a hard, decisive note. In a leisurely fashion, it gave an indisputable eight. Then I knew things were awry. The way I came to miss the end of the world, well, the end of the world as I had known it for close on 30 years, was sheer accident, like a lot of survival when you come to think of it. In the nature of things, a good many somebodies are always in hospital, and the law of averages had picked on me to be one of them a week or so before. It might just as easily have been the week before that, in which case I would not be writing now. I'd not be here at all. But chance played it not only that I should be in hospital at that particular time, but that my eyes, and indeed my whole head, should be wreathed in bandages. And that's why I have to be grateful to whoever orders these averages. At the time, however, I was only peevish, wondering what in thunder went on, for I had been in the place long enough to know that, next to the matron, the clock is the most sacred thing in the hospital. Without a clock, the place simply couldn't work. Each second, there's someone consulting it on births, deaths, doses, meals, lights, talking, working, sleeping, resting, visiting, dressing, washing... And hitherto, it had decreed that someone should begin to wash and tidy me up at exactly three minutes after 7 a.m. That was one of the best reasons I had for appreciating a private room. This is Dark and Stormy Nights, the podcast where we read the first page, and only the first page, of every novel ever written. I'm your host, Ben Blackberg. And I'm your other host... And tonight we're reading the first page of The Day of the Triffids by John Wyndham, published in 1951. And our guest today is David Hanna. Hello. Welcome back. Hello. Welcome back. Thank you very much for having me back. Well, the, the fans demanded it uh, mm-hmm. after the first episode. Um, oh, I'm so glad. Have, have either of you read John Wyndham before or this particular book? I have. Uh, because this one is mine, and I've actually read it, which is not a definite in most of the books that I have. <laughs> uh, I have not. I have heard this title, but I have never read it. Mm-hmm. That's that's how I came to reading it, is just by having heard the title a few times and being like, what the fuck is that? And eventually looking it up. <laughs> uh, my understanding is that if we were British, we probably would have seen this movie like on TV in the same way that like... As Americans, we probably saw Ice Pirates when we were like 10, if that is a reference that makes sense. Hmm. Like, my impression is that a lot of people know this book as a reference, or this the film specifically. Okay, I looked it up, and this reminds me so much. It reminded me so much of something, and I looked at Wikipedia, and yes, in fact, it very much should have reminded me of something, because this is the very start of the plot of 28 Days Later. Hmm. Oh, that that's almost definitely on purpose now that I think about it, uh, which is based on this book. So there you go. Huh. 
<laughs> That's interesting. Uh, I it says it's the inspiration. So clearly, like, there's it, it's it's taking Day of the Triffids as a jumping off point, mm-hmm. and then relating that to to zombies, as opposed to uh, poison spitting plants. Which I mean, half dozen of one, six yeah. of the other. You know, love to flip around my metaphors. Mm. I do feel like there is um uh, a book that I read as a child which was not this book Mm. but which was like like plants kill us all sort of thing Mm. uh and i I feel like i've had this conversation with other people where like other people remember a book that is not this book but like might as well have been this book uh in some ways Mm. uh in plot let's say but not in tone uh we talk about spinoff podcast uh, there's a spinoff right there (laughs) track down all the knockoffs of day of the triffids that's that's a that is a prestige investigative podcast waiting for you. <laughs> yeah. Searching for John Wyndham or that'd be great to like serial season 28 or like what, like at what point will true crime podcasts be forced to solve literary mysteries mm. that like no one cares about? Probably. Um, that's probably mystery show. It had a short run, but it's really good. If you look it up, uh, was that, um, Starly kind show. Yes. Yeah. On, uh, <sighs> Starly got robbed. Starly got robbed so hard. Yeah. Such a good show. Uncovering the Triffids. Mm. Uh, but yeah, so I actually do know, and I like this book a lot when I read it. So I'll try not to uh, spoil everything. This will be one of the, the rare podcasts where we can say like, but well, what happens on page 33? <laughs> well, D- David, what, what did you think of that? Well, did, did you look at the cover before you read this? Have you have you uh, ever heard of this? Like, I mean, like I said, I've I, all I have heard is the title. Um, so knowing nothing about it, um, I mean, let's be clear, they did a pretty good job with this cover. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not messing around at all. There are some wild plants, and they are going to kill some people. You know, I, how 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 much more descriptive could they get with this cover? It's spooky. It's ominous. There's some very large plants and a hand. Yeah, like this is a real triumph of like weird late 70s, early 80s, like biological design. Um, This is the rare cover where uh, it has an author's signature and year on it. So I can actually figure out when this cover is from. Ooh, although it's hard to read. I think it says 1980. Oh, R. Courtney. (laughs) But like, I appreciate that, especially especially with a book that's got a, a plot that's going to be slightly convoluted mm-hmm. like this one this one's going to take a little bit to to understand and explain so let's make it very clear what you're in for before you start like diving into this book there will be plant violence <laughs> mm-hmm. but i gotta say we're sitting here talking and, and looking at the text and all i can think of is Cary grant reading the audiobook of this hmm when a day that you happen to know is Wednesday starts off by sounding like Sunday, there's something seriously wrong somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I was hoping we would discuss uh, tone, and I think that uh, nicely uh, nicely finds the crux of just like so the world ends, but like what's really important is that like let me tell you about my day. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like there is something like like uh, so often with me the first page is kind of a journey where usually I start off being curmudgeonly and then by the end of the page i'm like okay you've won me over uh and here uh, it kind of went the other way where i was like oh like i'm intrigued <laughs> by this like 
Like that is a great fun first sentence, right? Yeah. And then like as it goes on, when he's like, "Well, the world ended," it's like, "Well, for me, like, you know, like there, there's a certain uh, superciliousness mm-hmm. that, uh, like, I don't know. That's one of those things where you kind of want to just be like, like, like did 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 billions die? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, I just I think of like seeing Twenty Eight Days Later and the abject horror of Killian Murphy waking up in a desolate hospital room from a coma mm-hmm. and having no clue and like walking out in the middle of London and it's just destruction everywhere. And it's, it's haunting. There's no words exchanged. All of this is just him wandering around London for probably the first 15 minutes of that movie. Yeah. You're just like, what the fuck happened here <laughs> in this? The man wakes up, says, well, I better get my cocktail on for the morning. Yeah, and that starts going about his day. Now, I'll say this: if it stayed with that tone the whole time, I'm in. I am locked in because mm-hmm. I would. It would be super fun to do that story, but with the tone of a uh, f- of a '40s drink comedy. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or like, like I, I have uh, an uncompleted. Well. I have an undrafted uh, short story, uh, let's say, <laughs> uh, where where it is very much that like the, the idea of like like if, if you asked, um, oh my gosh, uh, I've forgotten all my names. Uh, uh, British Butler and Pop duo, Jeeves and Wooster. Thank you. If you asked Bertie Wooster, like to solve a murder in order to get to tea on time, mm. or to like to escape one of his aunts, like it has <laughs> it has it, it has that quality of just being like. Like, oh, no, like now I, I, I want to put on 28 days later, but with a voiceover of like this, mm-hmm. like Killian Murphy wakes up like, oh, why does it sound like Sunday? I know it's Wednesday. <laughs> like there's a schedule. Uh, excuse me. There's a schedule to keep here. People like <laughs> what's going on? It, it's a wild tone, especially for what that cover suggests, which is horrible destruction. <laughs> mm hmm. To start off, and with and with the chapter title, the end begins. Huh. Yeah, <laughs> and then our and then our hero just sort of wakes up like, hmm, this is very odd. <laughs> yeah, like yet yeah, I'm trying not to like, I'm sort of trying to hit the balance between just telling you the things I know about the book <laughs> and talking about the actual thing we're talking about. Um, uh, but it is sort of a slower apocalypse. Hmm. Because, like, the interesting thing about this book is that it's kind of a twofold apocalypse. Because you have triffids, which are, you know, ambling, poison-spitting plants wandering the countryside. Uh, but there's also a thing where most of the people in the world have gone blind overnight. That's too many. That's too many apocalypses. Yeah, I I think that this is the one book that gets to do it. <laughs> I'll give you, I'll, I'll let anyone try anything once. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Doing multiple apocalypses, you know, unless uh, uh, unless you're doing you're going full Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And like, I don't think we could in 1951. I mean, yeah, like that that sardonic sense of humor, because I, I do get this very upper crust British attitude towards what seems like just total impending doom. Mm. But I mean, Definitely, definitely. If Douglas Adams did the rewrite on this, now I get it. 
Yeah, it's more of a speculation about like arms escalation, actually. Like all of the various aspects of the apocalypse are implied to have been mm. various military experiments gone awry. Yeah, yeah. We were worried about that in the 50s. <laughs> mm-hmm. A lot. I do like the idea of uh, someone saying like, Mr. President, we, we can't allow a, a, a gap in our uh, mobile poison spitting plant reserves. <laughs> but, uh, but the Russians have developed something in a razor edge sunflower. <laughs> well, you know, you laugh, but then you hear shit the CIA did and you just mm-hmm. go, man, I don't know. Yeah. We're, we've done some very messed up things with all sorts of chemicals and botanicals. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, like I said, Part of part of my thing here is, again, don't have the rest of the book. I, it is it is definitely intriguing, but it is it, it is odd to start off in that in an almost cavalier way with this character. Like this character isn't. To be fair, you know, we talked about this with with the the book I was on previously, where it was like we're mixing tones, and we very much are because mm. this character is relating both his feeling at the moment but remembering that from all of the stuff he's seen now yeah so you're jumping back and forth between someone who's clearly seen everything horrible and then also from the moment i woke i realized something's not quite right here Mm. and i'm gonna go solve a little mystery why why my nurse hasn't given me a bath yet yeah the fact that he was waiting on bath time is like Next level weird. <laughs> well, that his whole head was in bandages so that he could not see anything, mm. hear anything. Well, that's what prevents him from being blind. Yeah, mm. I, yeah, that makes sense. I, I did know. Uh, so in 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 college, uh, which was like not exactly pre-internet, but pre-our internet as we currently know it, mm-hmm. uh, I discovered the uh, Encyclopedia of Science Fiction by uh, Nichols and Clute. Uh, and the companion volume, and it was a reference volume in our library, uh, and so I couldn't take it out, and I would just go to the library and just like read it. And it had it had like capsule descriptions of major authors in the field, uh, as well as like these nice little essays on like themes and tropes. Uh, and so like there, I I I knew that there was something I related that this had to do with, you know, like a. a I think the 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 essay on that was called uh, "Country of the Blind." It's like, mm-hmm. which was like both literally and figuratively uh, the topic. Um, so I knew when he mentioned that uh, you know, like uh, chance played it that uh, my eyes and indeed my whole head should be wreathed in bandages. Like there is something about like like you were saying, David, something about like uh, that interesting. Like he is telling us the story after he has seen all the dead bodies, but he is, uh, I guess. Uh, being forthright in, you know, depicting his mind at that time. And, like, I think, like, maybe that eyes part is the only thing that's kind of a hint about what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Maybe, sorry, this is a different topic, but do you think that maybe the, like, the the slow play of the apocalypse here, like, he doesn't wake up and is like, something smells like rotting flesh, or, you know, uh, like, do you think that is 
I don't know. Does that make it less horrific to us? Does that make us read it in a different way? If it's just like something's wrong and then slowly we discover that like the world has ended uh, or like what that means exactly. I don't know. I think the slow discovery sort of like the concept of walking into horror and realizing it very slowly um, and especially something where like you've been specifically spared because of circumstance is an interesting take. Yeah, I mean, again, (laughs) I'm going to reference it because it's such a huge part of the history of this book. The fact that 28 Days Later does spend a good chunk of time with the main guy just wandering around London aimlessly in a hospital gown without any knowledge of what's going on until he gets attacked. And then, you know, everything kicks into high gear. Mm -hmm. But like, it's a haunting while I remember the original. the very first episode of The Walking Dead being such like that as well, where like it was all in black and white and it's it's a very similar setup, but like just that dawning realization and horror of like, I don't know what's happening anymore. <laughs> I don't know where I am. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I've, you know, the coma thing, I think, helps just a little bit because in this story, he's clearly cognizant mm-hmm. versus 28 days later where they clearly were like no he was in a coma he didn't even know he was at the hospital so you're waking up already not knowing where you are as well and that's that's probably the only thing i think that softening is the one thing that maybe throws things off here as you're just like he knows where he is so then he's observant enough to know the timing is off mm. which means he's you know he it is this very slow realization, which I think is very interesting and intriguing. It's just that little cavalierness to it that makes me go, huh, this is a this is an interesting take. Mm. Not a bad one, though. Yeah, and it's interesting sort of where he decides to be artful with the language. Like we have that first line, like, you know, when day you happen to know is Wednesday starts off sounding like a Sunday, something is wrong. And then later when he's just like rattling off the things in the hospital that run by the clock, like births, deaths, doses, meals, lights, talking, working, etc. It's interesting when he chooses to sort of dip into that as opposed to being straightforward and like might be maybe a little clangy. I don't know that it's clangy. I think what he's what he's getting across is like little bit by bit. He's making you aware of because because he, he goes back to. You know, I missed it was like I missed it by circumstance. And I was like, the clock seemed off. And well, okay, the clock's off. But wait, it's a hospital. The clock can't be off. And Mm. then the it's that it's that growing dread of like the clock is off, which means births, deaths, doses, meals, lights, talking. And then like the fact that he goes on that long, I think is very much an indication of just how much panic is starting to feed to his brain of like. If the clock's off on them giving me something, something really bad has happened. Yeah. (laughs) And it's that mounting panic that I think what we're not used to is like in today, if this was written today, that panic would be almost sudden. Mm -hmm. Something's wrong somewhere. (laughs) I woke up in a straight panic. Like none of this would be detailed. But instead, he takes the time to actually go. I woke up. Okay. This is odd. Huh. What time is it? And then I heard the eight and I was like, 
hold on a minute, that's not right. And then all of the implications of that. I think that's where it's just like, we're not we're not used to that. Yeah. Now we're very used to that panic would be sudden and immediate. And it's just a different take to be like, actually, no, <laughs> no, it would take a moment for you to realize exactly how worried you need to be. Yeah, there is something there is something interesting about how the like the narrative like takes a like a, a step forward and a step back and then like, mm. you know, like like that first, you know, uh, Bafo first sentence, mm. you know, that like definitely gets my attention. But then, you know, there's that moment of like, well, you know, then he 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 doubts himself. Right. And we get a, a paragraph about him doubting and like testing his hypothesis. It's a lot like uh I remember someone once talking about uh, Groundhog Day mm. because, like, one of this the, the this person who mentioned this, like, one of their favorite parts was the part when Bill Murray like goes to a doctor. You know, like he doesn't automatically jump to like, oh, I'm repeating the same day and I'm, you know, uh, you know, can't die, um, or whatever. Like he kind of does like the normal human thing. But like the other the other part I remember is uh, in the movie Aliens. When uh, mm. they discover like a burned through hole in the floor, and one of the one of the marines like spits just to see how far down it goes, and like I always remember like one of my one of my high school friends loving that moment of like like that's what we would do like like we would just be mm-hmm. like hey what's down here like and there is something about like you wake up something's wrong like is it wrong is it me like do I have the wrong day um you know there there is something about that and then that whole like that whole paragraph digression about like things just being chance that feels very alien to a lot of the narrative that we uh, consume you know Mm. like i guess maybe it's like i don't know growing up on like chosen one narratives but someone just being like well it's a chance like what are you gonna do yeah it's just that like i guess maybe also in 1951 how much are you gonna have to get people to like ease themselves into the reveal when you're about to tell them that a bunch of venomous mobile plants are roaming the English countryside. Like Mm. how much work and setup am I going to have to do in this, the year of our Lord 1951 (laughs) Mm. to get people to buy in? Because I think people could have easily, I, I think what he's trying to do is be like, this is not a pulp novel. He he clearly has a, as you've pointed out, there's, you know, escalating war stuff and, and arms races. And so he's got something deeper he wants to dig into here, mm-hmm. which means he doesn't want this written off as a pulp story. Yeah. And like, even when he's talking about the randomness of it, there's a sense of survivor's guilt. Yeah. Which is not always something that you get like thoughtfully treated in science fiction. And then 28 days later. But we're going to do it this whole time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but it is fascinating because it's like, oh, yeah, 28 Days Later is was widely regarded as the zombie movie that really made people think about the stakes of a zombie movie. Mm-hmm. Like people talked about Night of the Living Dead and stuff, and there's a lot of implications from the Romero stuff. But 28 Days Later, I remember at the time being a huge deal because people went this movie's really getting into the morality of that whole situation and like all the, the nooks and crannies and people were like, this is not just a typical horror movie. And I think that's directly related to this where, you know, he is, he is doing a lot of setup and build up here because he wants to get the point across, 
that we are not just interested in whatever these wild apocalyptic things are going on. We're also interested in how people react to that. Yeah, I remember 28 Days Later being sort of one of the first zombie films that like gave people enough breathing room to try and figure out how to deal how to deal and also to give the i mean it's based on like a a chemical virus getting loose so Mm. it was also one of the first ones because typically they didn't explain how it happened it was just like now you're in the middle of a situation yeah this was the first one that said we are going to explain exactly how this occurred because we're going to lend that much more realism to it and seeing that it's based that it's clearly inspired by this book you see why they were wanting to do that they were like we're going to create an apocalypse and we want it to be incredibly uh, believable in a lot of ways yeah to, to dwell on like the interactions of survivors more than on the immediate horror sometimes Oh, wow. Okay. I was just looking it up because Alex Garland wrote the script for 28 Days Later. Mm-hmm. So this is the guy who did the film adaptation of Annihilation oh. and uh, Devs and Ex Machina. So yeah, clearly, clearly the the tie between these two is we're going for something deeper, which, you know, the more we talk about it, the more I, the more I start to like this page. <laughs> There's a ton of layers going on here. I think it's really just though, like there is a there is a lot of care and thoughtfulness here that clearly was put in that feels a little foreign. But when you start digging into why that choice was made, you start to go, oh, I really OK, I really dig what's going on here. It is interesting just to go back to something you said uh, a while ago, but um uh, like I, I was just looking up uh, John Wyndham, uh, who, you know, like a lot of times you get uh, uh, an author who writes mostly not science fiction, but then like will write one book or some, even some people who write science fiction a lot and, you know, just like have somehow escaped that label. Uh, mm-hmm. But like John Wyndham, his first <laughs> published stories are all in like uh, wonder stories and amazing stories. Yep. Like he was clearly in like that 30s pulp milieu so i can definitely see like coming up and being like okay like time to write a novel in 51 and wanting or not just wanting to but like coming to the novel with the idea that like he had more to say than just like a whiz bang adventure here um he he was finally getting that long form and he's like well y'all are not ready (laughs) for what i've got to put into here (laughs) first let me tell you about the law of averages okay (laughs) <laughs> buckle up we've got yeah yeah and i've read a couple of his his novels and he he does tend to get into like the societal interactions about something being out of place like he wrote the midwich cuckoos which was the basis of a movie called the village of the damned which is like this sort of like iconic there are scary children here movie <laughs> And, like, it's very much about, like, how the people in this town try and deal with the fact that something is wrong with some of their children and, like, about the sort of community aspects of that. And also, I think nuclear weapons. I think there's nuclear weapons in that one. <laughs> well, that, that's science fiction in the 50s and 60s, you know? Mm-hmm. We got to talk about the bomb. Yeah. Huh. Wow. I started off being like, I don't get it. And then now I'm going, I want to get more. Uh, the traditional arc of this show. 
Yeah, I guess one one nice thing about uh, getting into John Wyndham rather than the last author you were here to discuss, Agatha Christie, <laughs> is that uh, I feel like you, you can knock out uh, Wyndham's major works in uh, a couple of months. Something like that. Yeah, they're pretty quick. And there's there's only a few of them, right? Yeah. I do wonder, so like, I guess I'm trying to like, I'm having trouble uh, uh, contextualizing this. Like, what else was going on in 1951? Um, like, so the, the, the cover that we have here says, uh, wait, what does it say? One million in print? Over one million copies in print. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> in like 30 years, I guess. Yeah. But like, did this make uh, a splash when it came out? Like, was it was it read a lot? I saw something that said that it was uh, an abridged form was published in Collier's. Huh. I mean, I will say this. The fact that like I've I've never known anything about the book, but I know the title. Yeah. And some of that is the uniqueness of the title, but also that it's lasted this long is a pretty good testament to like. And it and it clearly had enough of an influence to push a zombie film to get made in 2002. Mm. So like it, I think it has, it has to have some kind of longevity. I did pull up the year 1951 and it was just like, first thing Korean war. And then a little bit down nuclear testing (laughs) at Nevada test site begins. So like, yeah, the, the machines of war became a huge thing. The Rosenbergs got sentenced to death in 1951. Yeah. And also like the, the sort of aftermath of the war as people try and figure out what society is supposed to be sort of after so much upheaval. Like I was just today reading a tweet about like a, a tweet thread about how like our gender, like all our gender roles are pretty much defined from that post-war period and don't look anything like history before that because everyone was in a rush to sort of define normalcy after a period of international horror. And I'm also seeing here that the day the earth stood still came out in in September of that year. This book came out in December. Mm -hmm. So like, this is also a banner year for science fiction. Yeah. That's a, uh, isn't that, that's another, they, they, they come to warn us of the danger a little bit. Yeah. Uh, There's a a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a big year. I just wonder, like, did this sell? Like, so one thing that I read relatively recently on this is that uh, for a while, this book was like, uh, it was not uncommon to find it on school syllabuses, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> which is kind of fun to imagine. Uh, <laughs> it's like in high school reading about like, oh, this kid, like this, this guy really wants a bath. Uh, <laughs> but like, I don't, yeah, I just... I, I guess I'm I, I'm I'm also curious to read this, not just because I enjoyed uh, something of the tone here. Uh, like, I guess I, I, here, here's my my working theory that like mm. if Douglas Adams had written this, uh, the sort of hapless protagonist would be somewhat ridiculous, but like still very uh, relatable and lovable. You know, he'd you know he'd be a, a schlub in a bathrobe, which is you know all I want to be in the world. Uh, uh, and, and very quick and, and, and came very close to this year. Uh, I wouldn't be, sh- I wouldn't be shocked if hitchhikers was, had some inspiration from this. Yeah. Yeah. But like we were saying, like there's something about this guy that like, I'm not sure, like I don't want him to reform and become like, you know, 
a, a heroic figure, but like uh, I do wonder how, how how much he will keep up this this tone. Like if if he was if he spent three hundred pages wandering, being like, but but my bath, excuse me, like mm-hmm. that would be that would be fun. <laughs> but like if it's just kind of like slightly annoying, uh, I wonder if I would bail. Yeah, it's it's one of those pages that's like it's a little difficult to discern what's character work and what's sort of like the the standard voice of the time if you know what i mean like what's just what's what one would think of as the voice of a middle class british citizen or upper middle class depending on how you define things uh at that period Mm. and whether like if one were in hospital and something were wrong one's first thought would be well how does this affect my bath my schedule or the, the the bandages that are wrapping my head mm-hmm. well and and especially when you you don't know that there's been an apocalypse yeah you just know that something is off with the clock mm-hmm. i don't know I, I yeah it makes me want to read more i, I that's that's the, the the best compliment we can give it for sure yeah i'm tempted to go reread if I were functional at reading these days. <laughs> chapter at a time. Just a chapter at a time. Mm. Mm. So what I'm hearing is spinoff Wyndham podcast. <laughs> I would do that. Uh, I still think uh, finding the Triffids is is your better bet here. Mm. I did. F- I did see one note in the, in the wiki article that said that uh, for some uh, some production, the D&D creature, the Shambling Mound, was renamed the uh, Slouching Triffid, which, <laughs> you know, I mean, respect. You have to you have to respect it. Yeah, that that that's success right there. Right. Yep. Well, uh, on that note, I think we're coming up on time. Uh, any final notes? I don't think so. Except when does the begin end? Mm. If the end begins. Uh, do you want to tell us what happens uh, in pages two through? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think the the whole story is essentially going from the end begins to the begin ends. Hmm. There you go. Like it's very much like an apocalyptic novel as opposed to a post apocalyptic novel about like process. Um, but I remember enjoying it, so that's my endorsement. Well, there you go. So, David, where can people find you and your stuff online? Well, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Big Macinpod, M-A-C-I-N-P-O-D. Uh, you can find the gay baseball romance audio drama that I'm currently working on. Uh, it is called Hand in Glove, and it is at Glovecast on Twitter. And then you can find all the amazing shows that I co-host uh, with Diana Lorraine at Macintosh Mod. We talk about ponies, Riverdale, and movies, so... You can check any of those out. Thanks for joining us on Dark and Stormy Nights. I've been your host, Finn LeBate, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Reciprocity. You can find the games that I write at mrreciprocity.itch.io, and you can find my other podcast, The Chimera, at thechimera.space or on Twitter 
at ChimeraPod or on your podcast app of choice. And I've been your other host, Ben Blattberg. You can find me on Twitter at InCatastrophe. For show updates, follow Dark Knights Reads on Twitter or visit darknightsreads.com. And we'll meet you back here next week. Weather permitting.